Welcome to Respect Life Radio. My name is Deacon Jeff Bennett with Catholic Charities of the Archdiocese of Denver. And remember, you can listen to all of our shows at respectliferadio.com. As Colorado voters consider a late-term abortion ban on the ballot in November 2020, Respect Life Radio is presenting a diversity of interviews and opinions that you are unlikely to hear in the mainstream media. It includes those who come from a faith background and those who don't come from a faith perspective at all. Go to respectliferadio.com for the latest. For more on the late-term abortion ban in Colorado, go to respectlifedenver.org to support the initiative and get involved. Today, our very special guest is Saren Foster. She's the president of Feminists for Life. She's the creator of Women Deserve Better campaign. Uh, and you've been president of Feminists for Life since 1994. Is that correct, Saren? That's right, over 26 years. It's been my honor and pleasure. Well, appreciate you having you. I, I, and again, you know, we were talking kind of off air before we got on. Uh, I wonder how many people know that your organization exists and the great work that you do. I've, you know, I've seen, you know, you guys have been at the, the march in D.C. on a regular basis. Uh, you really are true defenders of life. And why don't you let people know a little bit about your organization and how they can follow what you're doing? Well, thank you. Thank you again for having me on your show and uh, the opportunity to tell people that Feminists for Life is uh, a renaissance of the original pro-life feminism. We weren't aware when Feminists for Life was started a year before Roe v. Wade was um, determined by the U.S. Supreme Court that um, there, there were many pro-life feminists in the first wave of uh, the suffrage movement. And a lot of these names are very famous and well-known to, I'm sure, your listeners, Susan B. Anthony, Elizabeth Cady Stanton, many, many more. And we're so great to have this rich legacy of pro-life feminism where they have many of the same concerns we do today. Uh, abortion was, and abortifacients and other other kinds of, um, of um, medicines, quack medicines for women, were widely available. And the number one uh, form of advertisements for women's magazines of the day but Susan B. Anthony, Elizabeth Kitty Stanton, and the rest of them, they refused to take advertisements because they knew that form of, of advertising was anti-woman and, um, and anti-child as well. And they argued within her magazine, Susan B. Anthony's magazine called The Revolution, many, many different articles outspoken and without, uh, without known exception all argued against abortion. There were other magazines of the day led by other famous feminists at that time who also argued strongly against abortion, whether it was because it hurt the woman or because it killed the child or both, because there was a very famous situation where a young woman was butchered by a notorious woman who was performing abortions openly in New England. Um, they got their start from the abolitionist movement. Um, before there was a suffrage movement, there was an abolition movement, and uh, a couple of those famous suffragists, Lucretia Mott, Elizabeth Cady Stanton, went to London in 1840 to participate in the World Anti-Slavery uh, Convention. And unfortunately, they were silenced. They were told they could stay, but they could not be, uh, they could not speak because they were women. So that gave impetus to the suffrage movement because they figured, well, if we can't speak out and we don't have the right to vote and et cetera, we need the right to vote. We need rights for women. And the most, um, 
radical idea of the day was, of course, Elizabeth Cady Stanton's idea to get the idea that women should be able to vote. It was a 72-year-long movement. At the end of it, a young woman named Alice Paul takes up the leadership of the suffrage movement. And after uh, she achieves the 19th Amendment, which we are celebrating this August, 100 years of women's right to vote. But um, as an older lady, uh, she told our co-founder, Pat Goltz, that she thought that lim- linking abortion to women's right to abort- to vote was terrible. I mean, she-, she called abortion the ultimate in the exploitation of women. And isn't that true today? I mean, abortion is a reflection that we have not met the needs of women, and women deserve better, and every child deserves their chance at life, and every father needs to be honored and included in this picture. And I think we've got to really think about what is best, not always arguing about the worst, but how do we get to the best place for women? So for Feminists for Life, there are many different pro-life groups that do wonderful work in different areas, post-abortion, pregnancy resources, et cetera. Feminist for Life is an advocacy and education organization that uh, addresses the unmet needs of women. So our role is to systematically eliminate the root causes that drives women to abortion through education and advocacy. So we've got a long list of accomplishments that people can look at our resume, if you will, at feministforlife.org. Um, but our flagship program has predominantly been on college campuses. We were the first ones to create a map for and a directory of college campuses, what resources they have. We know that when women go to college, and mo- that many high school students are, are more pro-life than pro-choice, but by the time they get through college, they are three out of four of them support abortion. And it's because of that environment that supports abortion. It doesn't have the resources and support for women. So we're changing that. We're going to work with, not against the administrators, and with, not against the students, to change the environment on campus. Because if you change higher education, you change the country, and you change the world. And that's what we aim to do, make abortion unthinkable. Well, we've seen the other side has been very successful, right, at, at going into the education system and changing people's minds. So you're absolutely right. You know, many people, you know, when they hear feminism, they think of Kate Millett or Gloria Steinem, you know, who basically declared war on men and children because they viewed them as preventing them to fulfill their dreams. But you're, you're the opposite, right? You want to not only celebrate women, but you know how important men are in life and that children are a gift, not a hindrance, right? Right. Absolutely precious. And I think the message to children who are now, you know, preteens, especially and teenagers and, and young women is that they, along with boys and men, are priceless. They're precious. And um, I think that there's a connection between abortion and all the things you see with trafficking, with sexual harassment. This is a thread. And uh, there are predators out there, and we want parents to know that there are predators out there waiting to take advantage of your children, boys and girls, uh, of course, especially girls, and that even groups like Teen Vox, which used to be a fashion magazine, will sit there and absolutely tell parent, tell the children that it is okay to sex, to send nude pictures of oneself. Um, I mean, this could destroy a young woman's life, and they're they're. They're teaching these girls to have sex um, when they're not ready for the responsibilities of parentage, much less would you really want your child to go through an abortion? I mean, it, it's just I, p- parents need to know they've, that, that they've taken over public schools in many areas, what they're teaching and the things that are underlying. It is frightening. It is frightening because and in some worlds, well, the, the abortion advocacy 
and provider world, these children are future clients, and uh, there are other vulnerable populations as well, but they are looking at their future market, and they're prepping them so that they get them in there and they keep them in there. And, the, of course, the other, the other groups that they really want to get to are poor women, women of color, uh, women who've already had children. They know they're incredibly vulnerable, 66% of, or 60% of women who have abortions already have children. They tell them it's okay to have an abortion because you're being a good mother. You're being a good mother. What, what I got, we got a hold of the insider training tapes of Planned Parenthood at one point a couple of years ago. It's in our magazine called Manipulation, which is still available online. That must have been frightening to watch that. It was absolutely terrifying to see what they're saying to people. I mean, one of the questions that women most often ask, and so what they did was they said, what is it that, that our quote-unquote clients are asking us? And one of the questions was, will I be forgiven? And our answer is, well, if it's not a sin, then what's to forgive? But these women are really concerned about forgiveness. They want to know what's going to happen to their baby. Well, their baby's going to be killed. Yeah. Their baby's going to end up in a landfill a matter of medical waste. Um, you know, so they don't want to tell them that. They want to make them feel all warm and cozy for this. And they want to make sure they get that Visa card or MasterCard. Um, they offer Kleenex. But they're not there after, you know, they, they feel regret. They don't, they, these women just go home with empty wombs and empty arms. Nothing has been solved. If, if it was a bad relationship, it's not going to be made better by abortion. If the employer doesn't pay enough, he's, she's not going to get a raise. I mean, there are societal ills that push women to abortion because Roe v. Wade said, it's your, it's your problem. Right. It's your body. It's your problem. And, and the responsibility of having children shifted to women. And that's why we've got to remember that men are an important part of this, this uh, you know, the solution, not just to pay child support. I mean, of course, that's important. Billions of dollars are owed to women for child support, and it has thrown women into, the, into a feminization of poverty. But there's also a poverty of spirit. And I think one of the things that FFL does is, I think, is it inspires, it aspires women to be better. We have solutions. We have an entire new directory of solutions called WomenDeserveBetter.com, and it helps women work, learn, live, and love better. It goes to the real questions of how to get help in a million different areas, um, and how to, how to navigate, how to problem solve on your own. And it's also helpful for any pregnancy resource center to have that on fast speed dial so that they can look up and answer questions. We have over 6,000 people going through the doors, if you will, of womendeservebetter.com. It's not a place for debate. It's a place to get her help because she deserves it. Well, and I think your you know your point's well taken, right? Men are an important piece, and that's why a nuclear family is so important, right? A mom and a dad staying together is the best best situation for a child, and we've seen that you know the all the data shows it, and we know it intuitively. Uh, you know, defending life is so foundational, uh, and abortion, at, you know, really goes after women more than it does men. If you go to China or something different countries. They abort more girls than they do boys. Isn't abortion really the war on women? In some ways, absolutely. And unfortunately, in uh, some Asian cultures, the uh, the way you have Social Security, if you will, is to have a boy. And now, as predicted by Congressman Chris Smith and many others, there's been this imbalance between girls and boys. You end up with girls ending up being the village bride because there's no women to pass around. And so she is brutally raped by people at will 
because she's the only woman. It is so horrific. Mm-hmm. Young men go to cities living in dwellings with dozens of other men because they can't find a bride in their town. And they can't, and they're looked down upon. They're not really considered to be really good matches for the few women that exist. So this is, I mean, they're women being pulled out of their homes to have forced abortion and forced sterilization in China. It's a nightmare. It's absolutely a nightmare. And, the, you know, there's religious discrimination, of course, with uh, those who are Muslim, the Uyghurs, um, who are in concentration camps. It's a nightmare, absolute nightmare. There are so many injustices in the world. They all kind of spiral one into the other. And if we go back to the, you know, you talk about the nuclear family, that's really important. It's also important to know that not every woman, and we know we women in our organization who have been uh, conceived through rape, they're not going to yep. marry their rapist. Yep. Um, and so we have to also respect and support single moms, especially those who have conceived through assault. And the other group that we need to talk about are birth moms. One of our former board the chairs, uh, Jessica O'Connor Petz, was a student at UNC Chapel Hill. She graduated. She and her boyfriend figured out that she was pregnant, and they realized at the time, even though I think they had envisioned a long-term relationship, that they were not prepared. And so they together decided on an adoption. And she told her parents, who were, you know, initially pretty, you know, not very happy about it, but absolutely supportive to the point where Jessica had the baby. She placed the baby into the hands of another loving family. It ended up being an open adoption after, um, after initially it was going to be a private adoption on both sides. But um, in the end, her son Brenton had a picture of his what what they called a belly belly button mommy on the <laughs> on the side of his bed, and every night he would say a prayer to for the belly button mommy, and she would see him on his birthday. And after the after he grew up, he went to one of the UC schools, and he came home a couple of years ago for his spring break and to see his half brothers and sisters. Uh, so you know it's. It's an interesting, uh, there's many, many different ways. You know, we have eight choices that are nonviolent. We have marital parenting, single parenting, partnered parenting. I, I, I agree with you that married parenting is the ideal. We can say that. Right, but um, not everybody has that, and that's your point, right? I mean, but yeah. so that doesn't mean just because we don't have the ideal that, that we terminate a life because exactly. now all of a sudden we become God and we get to decide whose life will be good or not. And, and there's kinship care. There's yep. guardianship options. And there's three different variations on adoption, open, close, and semi-open. So we really are the pro-life, pro-choice side of it, the pro-woman, pro-child side of it. And the, we, we're the feminists that like guys. Well, that's so, that's good. I'm sure people will be hearing that because it's, it's hard to have babies without guys. Um, that comes in handy. You know, one of the things I heard on one of your other interviews that really struck me uh, you were talking about your mom, who was a special mm-hmm. education teacher, and you, mm-hmm. you said something to the effect of just because a child's not perfect in the womb doesn't mean it doesn't deserve to be born. Absolutely. I'm, I don't know anybody who's ever hugged me harder than one of the children that had Down syndrome that was in her class. And, I mean, you'd walk outside the door, you'd come back in, they were just as excited to see you as they had been when they initially met you 20 minutes before. They love unconditionally so often. Um, they enrich our world. I think that it's imperative for us to sit there and understand how many of these babies have been aborted and how many parents have been robbed the joy of knowing their children who have special needs. Uh, and during this time of COVID, we also have to recognize that a lot of the services that were dedicated towards the um, families of those with special needs, disabilities, mental um, issues of Down syndrome or um, or even mental illness, um, that their, their services have been cut off. And we're hoping that 
that that this you know, country can be restored on so many levels, so that the needs that they have can be met. Yeah, I mean, I just think that's so important. You know, we talked again before we went on air that. You know, Colorado has an opportunity to end late-term abortion at 22 weeks and beyond. You know, be the first real restriction on abortion since 1967. And we know, you know, one of the arguments that Planned Parenthood is going to use is, well, what if there's a fetal anomaly or there's something wrong with that child? That's, mm-hmm. you know, we need to do that for the love of the mother. Well, what you're saying is, look, you know, when you're pregnant, you're a mom, and and this is such a gift and. You're talking about the gift that keeps giving even after the baby's born. You're talking about a hug that, you know, you just wish people would give you, right? Absolutely. Uh, there's there's so many people who are precious in this world. Who, and you think about, if you think about even before the Americans with Disabilities Act, which we celebrate the anniversary of this summer, you, you sit there and think about the, the rich things that people with disabilities have given us. You, you think about, could there be a taller man in art than... than um, uh, so, or um, or if Beethoven goes it is deaf and he's writing incredible music. Toulouse-Lautrec, by the way, is what I meant. Yeah. But um, you know, where you look at Beethoven and he couldn't hear, but he was writing music and writing it down for us to enjoy. I mean, you, you can't sit there and say I believe in the Americans with Disabilities Act and say, except for if they're in utero and we don't want them to escape the womb. I mean, why is one more precious than the other? They're not. They're different. That doesn't mean they're not equal. You know, all choices are not the, are not the same, you know. Right. There, there are worse choices. The worst choice is abortion, and we've got to get back to the fact of understanding why women are having abortions to undo them, but to your point about the, the upcoming legislation, I encourage people to go and read um, or listen to Melissa Oden, um, who's one, she was a, a speaker of Feminist for Life when she first came out about her story of being aborted alive about five months, I think it was 20-some weeks into her mother's pregnancy. Her mother was coerced into that abortion by her parents. Her, her um, boyfriend's parents didn't even know that she was pregnant. Later on, they said they would have kept her, but some, she survived because I think a nurse put her in a closet or something, and she survived and was rescued. But I, there, I have neighbors who have a, have a grandchild who was born less than a pound. You know, they said she was going to have gross fetal anomalies, which she's wearing glasses. She had delayed speech. Now we can't shut her up. I mean, it's terrible. <laughs> just, like, know, just like any other kid, right? I can't wait till they talk, yeah. and then, then they never shut up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, I mean, so what do they mean by gross fetal anomalies? Most of the babies who are aborted during partial birth abortion and where they developed this horrible technique in Ohio had cleft palates. Well, we know we have doctors who go around the world. Uh, fixing cleft palates for children. So uh, who are these people that get to decide somebody's perfect? Because I'm sure they're not. Well, no, all we have to do is look in the mirror. That's why I try to avoid them whenever possible. Um, (laughs) You know, and, you know, one of the things that is also important is, you know, those that are pro-abortion, you know, the feminists that are for, you know, abortion, they need our compassion, right? They aren't the enemy. They are people that, that just need to know the truth. And a lot of times it's they're angry because they're hurting, right? Yeah, absolutely. And anger often masks pain. And I think about the times when I'm getting, you know, people coming to protest when I speak or, you know, planned um, responses, you know, within the lecture hall where people come in, they scatter, they text each other, they snicker, whatever. 
I always go up to them, well, before COVID and shake their hand, welcome them, tell them I want to hear them, I want to listen to them. It changes the dynamic completely. We get letters years later saying, I came to mock and hate you. Yeah. But you were kind to me, you welcomed me, and you made me feel bad in a good way. And so yelling at, at, at students who were who really have never known a day without a legal abortion, whose parents have had abortions, <clears throat> friends, <clears throat> sorry, family and other... Right. The, the whole culture is full of, you know, people who've had abortions, and they, they don't want us being mean to them. That's kind of what... He, they don't want us to judge them. And what they, what they need to hear from us is love, compassion, that an act is wrong, that terminating a child is wrong, but we love you unconditionally. We love you. We want you to come into this movie. You've had an abortion. We know there's all these people out there that can help you with reconciliation. There is forgiveness, uh, and, and there is joy on the other side of it. We want you to get you there because, I mean, if you look at the unhappy faces within the abortion movement, it can't tell you that it's a success. It is filled with death and pain and anguish, um, guilt, and misery, and I, I, I don't. I, I feel feel like we really do have to to reach them. And the the earlier we can reach people, the better to help you know form um, kind of some basic policies and principles, and for people to know that there are people loving strangers out there, even if they don't have a good husband or their partner abandons them or they are sexually assaulted, no matter the circumstances. There are thousands of pregnancy resource centers across the country waiting to help them for free. They're not taking MasterCard, right. and they will help them beyond pregnancy. It's not just that to get them to have a baby. It's beyond pregnancy. Many maternity homes will have women staying with them for two years for free, for free. So um, we got to end the myth that we only care about children before birth. We care about children to the end of a natural life. Well, and I think, you know, you had a really good point when you're talking about unhappy faces, right? I mean, to vote for the end of late-term abortion would eliminate some of those unhappy faces, and it would provide other faces in this world that never came to be because of that choice. Absolutely. And if they really feel like they can't have that child and raise the child, there's adoption in all those forms. They can change their mind during the pregnancy if they want to open a closer uh, or, you know, maybe just share the medical records and the ethnicity and race without getting into the, most. Uh, the, there was a one journalist who watched a late-term abortion when it was first coming out in the news 20-some years ago, and it was so upsetting. It was absolutely so upsetting to watch. It was a woman who was desperate because her boyfriend, who was a truck driver, said, you're never, we're never having children, you're never having children. She hid the pregnancy. This is so often with late-term abortion. She hid the pregnancy because she thought if she was pregnant enough that she couldn't have an abortion and that he would change his mind only to find out that there was this horrific procedure which will probably make many women uh, completely incompetent, make their cervix incompetent yeah, so sterile. they can't yeah. have children yeah. later. And yep. they miscarry over and over and over af- afterwards. So this is not happy. I mean, whether you're talking about are you 46 or this much later thing, I mean, it just, there's, this isn't happiness. And we want joy. We want joy because there is such a value in every human being. Well, and this is, by the way, the 25th anniversary of Evangelium Vitae, where yep. Pope John Paul II talked about a pro-life feminism. And he encouraged women there, and in the next section, Section 100, he talks about calling out to women who've had abortions that there is hope and healing. So I'm not saying anything new here. 
in many ways. Well, no, but it needs to be said again. And I think that, to your point, it needs to be said by different voices. And I think your voice is really important. Your organization's voice is very important because it can't just be, hey, it's a bunch of white guys that, that, that uh, you know, are belong to the Catholic Church. It needs to be such, this is such a broad tent when we're talking about people that support life. I, I spoke to, uh, you know, secularists for life. Uh, you know, I've talked to different groups and w- they all seem to converge. Look, life is foundational. That If we can't agree on that, I mean, where else do we build that relationship? Absolutely. And no matter the race, no matter the gender, no matter the Correct. parentage, the disability, um, all those excuses for discrimination, they equally apply to abortion. There's, there's, no, there's no rationale to discriminate by any of those measures that we would say is discrimination and bigotry once somebody is born. Well, I mean, you guys do great work. Again, I, I can't encourage people enough to go on your website, go on YouTube and watch some of your talks. I know you've been on Huckabee and done different things. And, you know, the message is just, you know, you can't argue with it, right? It's a beautiful message that you guys are sharing. And it just needs to be heard even louder. I, you know, your your roles need to grow exponentially because you're you're for everything that's good. I, I so appreciate you saying that and letting your your listeners have an opportunity to hear a little bit about Feminists for Life. And hopefully, they will go to the website and and um, you know perhaps support Feminists for Life. And we have incredible publications. I think we're the last one of the last or the last public pro-life group that maybe has a, a full-color magazine and their evergreen publications. And uh, the last issue was all about the suffrage uh, celebration, and which, which was pro-life, and they'll learn a lot about that. But we have other magazines like Manipulation, which documents what's going on at Planned Parenthood, so people have a better understanding, and, and many, many other theme-based magazines. So they're great resources, great resources to share, to help bring about a, a greater awareness, and please have people go, go to womendeservebetter.com as well, especially if you know somebody who needs help. Uh, my sister, in one conversation, changed the mind of a college student who was about to have an abortion because she said, go to Women Deserve Better, and my sister just went to your school, and she just held a pregnancy resource forum, pregnancy and parenting resource forum, and in one conversation, she changed her mind about having an abortion, which was being forced upon her by her mother at Christmas. Can you imagine anything worse than a Christmas abortion? Oh, can you imagine? That would, that would never leave you, right? I mean, no, you, that would never. scar you for life, and you would life. never enjoy Christmas because of, that, because of that tragedy. And because of that, one conversation with my sister, knowing those two things, she went back to her mom, who was coercing her into an abortion by threatening to withhold her car keys, place to live, going back to school. And in that moment, she changed her mind and said, I just want you to come home so I can help you raise your child. Well, I mean, I, I, we got to end there because that's just too great of a story. I mean, I don't think we can top that one.